Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Awfully glad that we have this time together, and I'm looking forward to what's coming up in the next two hours. I've got Guy Talk uh, happening here in this hour, and then John and Pam Bloom. Deep Thinker Thursday is going to be an hour, too, and you know how enjoyable that always is. They are like doing church. I think that actually counts as church when they come in, so that's always good. So let us know what uh, issues, questions, or things you would like uh, the gentlemen. I've got some awesome panelists today, as always. And if you have a question, let us know what it is. Maybe there's something related to Christmas or anything. We'd be happy to tackle it and do our very best job. Uh, We are um, can't guarantee we'll always give an answer that you're happy with, but we will do our very best, okay? And we will always open the Bible and start there and... uh, let us know, 877-933-2484. Again, that number is 877-93-FAITH. The power panel today is uh, growing. So we're going to start with uh, Justin Jepson and Dr. Peter Kapsner, who's all the way in Scotland right now. So we're going to find out what's going on on the other side of the pond. We'll take 60 seconds and get started. We'd never pick them to be the ones invited to the first Christmas. After all, shepherds were considered the lowest of the lowlifes, unfit to even be allowed in God's temple. But the Bible says there were shepherds keeping watch over their flocks. An angel appeared to them and made this startling announcement, Today a Savior has been born to you. But why shepherds? Maybe because Jesus welcomes people who are not his type. And maybe you feel that way. You've experienced your share of closed doors. You've done a lot of wrong things. But that's who Jesus came for. It figures it was shepherds, because the Bible says we're all like sheep who have gone astray. But when Jesus died on the cross, the Lord, the Bible says, laid on him the wrongdoing of us all. And the Bible says Jesus was the sacrificial Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he's waiting to do that for you this Christmas, if you'll pin your hopes on him. If that's what you want, call us at 888-NEED-HIM or chat with us at chataboutjesus.com and let Jesus bring his lost sheep home. Welcome to the show. Awfully glad Guy Talk is going to be happening this hour. It's an hour I so enjoy. I'm joined by Dr. Peter Kapster and Justin Jepson. And I think uh, Brad Johnson is going to be showing up any second. It's a come one, come all. But uh, Peter, welcome to the show all the way from Scotland. Thanks, Bill. Sitting out outside here in sort of the entryway of the apartment building in which we stay. Uh, so if some people walk in and out, we'll just introduce them to the show. <laughs> might, as, <laughs> might as well. I mean, I'm open to that as long as they're guys, right? 
Right. Yeah. And I, actually, Bill, I have, a, I have a bit of a bone to pick with you. And Justin, I don't know if you heard in the introduction there, what, he said that uh, John and Pam Bloom, it was like going to church, right? When, mm-hmm. when they're in studio, he was conspicuously absent when he described our presence here <laughs> on the show. I'm, I'm a little concerned about that. That's true. Yeah. What does that make us? I don't know. You guys, I, I'm not sure. Appetizer, <laughs> church appetizer? Yes. You guys have a lot to work through, just so you know. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. So, Peter, tell us about what it's like over in Scotland right now. Is it a, a festive time? You know, it really is. Uh, downtown Edinburgh is a beautiful place to be over Christmas. They they sort of set up the main street, which is about uh, three quarters of a mile long. Nice. And they kind of shut it down for a major festival. I mean, Ferris wheels and rides and lights. And and there's there's sort of a topography of the city that is up and down and very hilly. So at any point in your vantage point, you sort of gaze out over this beautiful city of lights. They really do a wonderful Christmas time here. And and we were here, I've referenced it before, but uh, having lived here for a while, we took our youngest three kids back for sort of a short homeschool study abroad where they're doing uh, school here in an actual Scottish school for about three months. And some lovely people have taken us in and treated us really well. So it's, it's been a, a, we're really grateful for the experience. Mm-hmm. And Justin, uh, you were just c- coming off a little bit of a, of a cold. That's correct. So Maybe a little come through in my voice, but oh, you sound great. Feeling, feeling better. Oh, well, thank you. Thank just you. don't just don't breathe my direction. I'll try not to. That's the only request yeah. I have. That's why I'm over in the corner, <laughs> other side of the table. Yeah, with that big thick glass in front of you. But it's often nice to have you here as well. And how you, you've got some young kids in your household? That is correct. Yeah, two and a half year old son and six month old daughter. Oh boy, so it's busy, isn't it? All it the time. It is. It's a ton of fun. Yeah, we're loving it. Especially Christmas. I think it's so much better. We love it in this time of season. Uh, time of year anyways, but it's been all the more enjoyable with young kids. Mm-hmm. So as we look back on the year, uh, can you think of occasions where you had some godly wisdom either that you shared or that you received, and you can tie it to some event or some circumstance in your life that you go, God really showed up and taught me something in this moment? Hmm. I'll open that question up. And Peter, I know uh, if you feel like you want to jump in, please do. Yeah, no, I, I think the first thing that comes to mind, Bill, it's it's maybe a, just a slight spin on the question a little bit, but yeah. um, when when we came here, we didn't really know why for sure, other than to have our kids in school and stuff. But uh, but my wife Hallie has really felt a sense of call and a specific word around that call to just be available uh, to people in need. And I think what I've seen, and, and so I'm not sure if it's wisdom. But I would say this, uh, God really does intersect and intercede in our lives in some really interesting ways where she simply opened up her hands and said yes to this call of being available. And I cannot believe the number of seemingly coincidental conversations that she's had and the kind of relationship she's developed with people she hardly knows in a, in a very short period of time and how they sort of happen, happenstance. And, and a great example is actually today. I mean, Edinburgh's got 500,000, 700,000 people, busy million streets, buses all over the place. And Hallie and I were out sort of previewing uh, an apartment for some friends of ours that wanted to move here. And as we got done with that appointment, we were trying to find the local bus stop and we did. And and uh, the bus driver held up the bus for some reason for us. And again, there's there's thousands of buses around the city. In our whole conversation during that time, she said, you know, I met somebody, uh, Peter, at a, at a church here whose husband, they're very active in the church and the pastor is wanting to get together and and talk about matters of sexuality from this side of the pond a little bit, too. And and get into conversation. She told me all about this woman, right? And and Hallie had simply just been available for these conversations. Well, getting off the bus, who happens to be on a bus in a major met- metropolitan city, but this woman comes walking by and taps us on the shoulder 
and starts the conversation up. And I just, I, I think if there's wisdom in that is that I, I think God is in the move more often than we might realize. And and this is kind of a moment, if I read about it in the book of Acts, how mm-hmm. two people would sort of randomly show up on a bus together uh, <laughs> in the middle of, of a large city, you would think, I mean, granted, there's no buses in Acts, I get it, but yeah. but if they sort of randomly, it would say, well, God was on the move back then, but not now. But you just, you can't make this stuff up. And I have at least a dozen stories of that just from simply having my wife who opened up her hands like that. So I think there's some deep wisdom in the way we live life, being open-eyed to what God might be up to around us. Mm-hmm. That's a yeah. great story. Uh, that's that's really good. A, a little bit different of a take on that is you were, Bill, asking me about my uh, my family and young kids. Um, I remember this is probably within the last year uh, as we were going from one kid to uh, two kids. Um, uh, this idea, I think, we often think of the different phases or different seasons that have different challenges and different joys as you're as you're raising kids, and we're experiencing that with our son, and now again over with our daughter, and just the similarities and differences. But I think uh, sometimes when you're going through a really difficult period, we can say, "Oh, this is just a phase." So when when our son hit two, we got the terrible twos and started throwing tantrums, started you know having an opinion about things and having preferences, and um, and I I think it was a, it was a, I heard it from a pastor. I also read it, you know, I think connecting dots, you don't hear the same thing from multiple different people within a short period of time. They kind of pay attention. Okay, God's (laughs) saying something here. And it was something along the lines of, you know, this isn't just a phase for you to go through. This is is a moment for you to be fully present in. And Mm -hmm. I've had several moments in the last year where I'm having a really difficult moment with one of my kids, in particular, you know, my son as he's acting out about something. And just to be able to stop and say, this isn't just a phase. There's a moment here that I need to be fully present in. And it sounds so simple, but it's been so profound for me that even in the moment when he's throwing a tantrum, I'll feel this this love start softening my heart and patience starts flooding in. And I'm like recognizing this is the Holy Spirit at work here. And it's a glimpse in a small, infinitely smaller way than how God feels about us as his kids. So I think God's continually giving me a, a, a greater grasp of what his is heavenly, what the Heavenly Father's eyes are like as he looks upon us as I look upon uh, my own children. So that idea, of, it's not a phase to mm-hmm. go through. There's, it's a moment to be fully present in, and God has something mm. for you in the midst of that season. That's a beautiful, beautiful... That really is. Yeah. I think Peter, I think actually Peter told me that at some point. That makes sense. I'm pretty sure that's where you it came from. You can't yeah. give me credit for that one, pal. That's really good. <laughs> and I wrote it down on a restaurant napkin and gave it to him. So he oh, read there we it go. first See? and then that's you learned it from him. Yeah, yeah, that's how it works. Oh, okay. Oh, pass it on. I'm yep. good. I'll trace works. it back to the original source here. Yeah, we've got guy talk going on. So let us know what you'd like us to chat about. If you have a question, oh, I've got a great question. Uh, we're going to take a little break. When we come back, I will address uh, the question that just came in from my wingman, Terry. We'll be back in... Uh, 90 seconds. so glad to have a guide talk right now. Justin Jepson, Dr. Peter Kapsner, possibly Brad Johnson, and who knows who else might join in this conversation. It's, it's open. If you want to call in, you can come on the show as well. Anyway, here's uh, my wingman, Terry. He said, uh, hi, Bill. I'm wondering if the panel could discuss this statement by Mark Twain. It's easier 
to deceive someone than to convince them they're being deceived. I personally have experienced this fact 99% of the time when attempting to witness to friends and family. Doctor? <laughs> I, did Justin become a doctor? Because he seems like a perfect first candidate. <laughs> no, nope, I'm far from it. So I think he was referring to you. <laughs> wow. I'll read it again. Well, it's easier. Yeah, please do. Yeah, it's easier to deceive someone than to convince them they're being deceived. Hmm. Mark Twain. Yeah, I mean, I, I think for sure to the latter of that statement, it is, I mean, it, it's terribly difficult if somebody is walking in a deception, especially if they there's a reason for them to be walking in the deception. I mean, it, it's almost impossible to have somebody turn when they're walking a certain direction. And I'm using this a bit even in the sexuality conversation these days that um, the prodigal son example, I think, really holds up. I think about how many families and friends that I know that maybe their son or their daughter or a close uh, friend or a cousin, relative of some kind, decided to to walk a certain pathway in their sexuality that that wouldn't be consistent with God's kingdom. And if they say you need to stop, you're being deceived. That almost never works. I mean, I can think of almost no situation where somebody who sets their mind in a certain direction in a deception turns away from it just because somebody tells them to. It, it's almost always the result of a prodigal son moment where somebody sort of has to taste the end results of what it means to walk in that deception for a period of time. And, uh, and sort of when the, when the pigsty moment hits, are they willing to turn then and turn their back towards home? And will they, will they see the heavenly father there to greet him? I think that that's a piece that's really hard to turn somebody from a deception. And in terms of then deceiving somebody, according to Twain's comment like that, I, I think it's uh, unfortunately quite easy to deceive somebody if you want to. There's so many subtle ways in which you can do that. And I don't know what he meant for sure by that statement, but uh, boy, it sure is easy to deceive somebody. Mm -hmm. Just uh, staying on this topic, because this was a question that came in yesterday, Peter, and it was a challenging question, and I think it would merit your take as well, just given the fact that you teach on this. And it was a question to uh, Dr. Glenn Pickering, who was in yesterday, and it was from a listener that said, uh, at our family gathering, there will be a 16-year-old niece who is wanting to refer to her as him. She yeah. was adamant at Thanksgiving, and I expect the same at Christmas. She's in Arts High School, where several girls are doing this. She's been in and out of the hospital for suicidal talk. So naturally, we want to be gentle, and I, I tend to refer to her as darling or honey, but that doesn't work with yeah. pronouns all the time in normal conversation. And it's breaking the hearts of her parents and extended family, but they are uh, playing along, not wanting to offend her or him and trying to love her. And it's so difficult. Yeah, that is a complicated issue, isn't it? I mean, I think um, there's both sort of the long game that I just described, and there's also then the short game of wisdom in the moment that's required to sort of help intercede on behalf of the long game. And what, what I mean by that is, uh, we're, we're sort of on the, th this is not going to end well, all of the sexuality conversation, any, any, in the way it's being formed right now, anything that's inconsistent with God's kingdom is eventually going to find its end. And it doesn't ever really end well when it does. And you can even point through history at times when people have embraced different forms of masculinity and femininity and, and same gender relationships. And they, they sort of come to a catastrophic end at, at some period in time. And then there's a renewal and there's a reformation and there's a change, but it's this pattern. And so that's what I mean by the long game is I think we all really want our, our deeply loved ones that are so close to that are being impacted by this. We want them to change and to see it 
and just see it now for what it is. But so often you have to taste the the fruit of your choices before you can really see it. And and I can think about times in my own life. It wasn't around sexuality conversation, but other things. I had to walk a path for a while before I was ready to see and repent and sort of experience the quote unquote the rotten fruit of those choices. And so there's a long game in this. But then the question is 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 according to the caller you had and and the conversation, what do you do in the short game? What do you do in the present moment over the holiday tables? What do you do with a 16 year old who I think for understandable reasons, given what's being taught in schools these days, what is all over social media these days in terms of how we are to relate to one another. It would be unusual and weird if somebody didn't know somebody in this situation that wants to be referred to by an opposite pronoun or by some other kind of pronoun. And so each situation like that requires a certain kind of wisdom. I don't have a one size fit, fits all answer into those um, situations because I don't know everybody. But but I do think that idea of being respectful but still maintaining a posture where you're not embracing. I mean, it's so tricky, Bill, right? It's so hard to find that grace and truth where you stand in the truth of something that matters and hope to shine a light into the situation, but you also aren't heavy handed about it. So what what does it mean to walk in forbearance and truth at the same time is a question that I think anybody has to ask in the short game while we wait as the long game plays itself out. Yeah, really nicely stated. Mm-hmm. I don't know if, Justin, you feel like you have anything to add to that? Uh Gosh, I don't know. That was yeah. that was so well said. That was well said. That was. Yeah. I, I think going back to Twain's statement, that idea of it's easier to deceive someone than to tell someone they're being deceived. Yeah. I think, you know, deception, I think, often happens in a process, you know, and it's through a series of lies that are then slowly believed to be true. And, you know, I, I think that idea of, you know, if, I, if I'm if I'm going to deceive you, Bill, I mean, you know, if you don't know something about me, it's easy for me to conjure up what I want you to know about Of course. Me. Right, and then you don't know that until right. maybe someone else comes in from a, with a different perspective, and then you're ch- then you're faced with needing to make a decision, and um, and I think that deception is broken often not just through the making a logical case and argument, but through experience of the fruit of someone's life, kind of to Peter's comment, and you know, and I and I think this caller the question yesterday, I think often the way you know Jesus approached this this idea of grace and truth. When he was dealing with Pharisees that were deceived and thinking they believed that they were true and they were looking at truth incarnated and they didn't see it, he so often uh, just asked questions. And, mm. you know, and that idea of, you know, wisdom is justified by her, her children, by fruit. And, mm-hmm. and so I think, um, I think one of the ways we can show love and express love is ask questions. And even for the 16-year-old, even just to get to know Right. This person at image level. So tell me more about this. You're, you know, if you're preferring to be called by this, how 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 is it that you came? Not not so much why to put them on the defense. They don't have to make a case. But how is it that you came to that? Just tell, could you could you tell me more about that? And I think sometimes answering asking questions from a place of sincerity can be a practical way practical way we can express love. But also, questions have a way of kind of exposing cracks and. Light can get in there, mm-hmm. and truth can get in there, and, and allow mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit to, to do the what only the Holy Spirit can do, which is to bring transformation at the heart level. Yeah, and gosh, Brett, I love that, Justin. I'm gonna I'm gonna write that down and give that to yeah. Bill. That was really <laughs> on a on a napkin, right? Yes, later. yes. Okay. Yes, wise and good looking. That's what Justin and young. It's oh, like it's the trifecta of pain for me. Oh, it just the hair on his head, Bill. Every oh, day, let's like, not go there. He's got but, stumble. But Brad's right. in studio, and he's got a great head of hair. He does have a great head of hair, but you've got hair product in of some kind. Yeah, you do. well, that's, offen- that's offensive to me. That's a f- oh no, I'm sorry. <laughs> You're deceived in that. I, no, well, exactly. Brad, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you so much. All right, here's a question from a listener. How, how, what does the Bible say about how to deal with controlling people? I think everyone's feeling a little <laughs> tense about being around 
family and relatives and friends who might want to be controlling and telling you what to do and how to go about it. Any uh, any uh, insight to that, gentlemen? Well, I think it's fun to be the controller and not the controller. <laughs> so just be I the controller more. and then you're fine, yes, right? Yes. Then it's no problem. I mean, controlling people really don't have anyone's best interest in mind, do they? Mm-hmm. They have their own interest in mind, right? Yeah, I think I think sometimes, though, as a parent, I know for myself that I want to control my kids, but I have their best interest in my heart. Now, they might disagree with with what I might try to do or what I might think about something, and they might disagree with the way I would do it or, you know, uh, the way that might be fleshed out. But the point I'm getting to is that in my heart, I have their best interest, and yet they may not, especially in their teen years, you mm-hmm. know, they may not necessarily agree with that, or they might not even understand that, that, that I have their best interest in heart, and I'm not really trying to control them. I'm trying to convince them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think of um, just what's coming to my mind right now is all the one another's in the New Testament, you know, to bear with one another in love, um, be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as Christ has forgiven you. And I think... Um, I don't know. For me, I've learned to, to try to pick bat- pick your battles. I think yeah. if, you know, to kind of confront everything that comes up all the time, you know, is going to wear everyone out. But I think if there's, notice if there's a certain pattern of control, and I think that's where, if, you know, if one has a grievance against one another, you know, we speak the truth to one another in love and just say, hey, you know what, I feel like you're maybe trying to control the situation here. I'd appreciate, you know, I'd like to offer a perspective, can we come, you know, make this decision together? And so I think sometimes maybe kind of to, to pick your battles and, you know, it's, it's good. Love covers a multitude of sins and it's um, good to, good to do that and let some things go. But I think also uh, prayerfully discern what, when to confront a controlling person mm-hmm. in love. Yeah. I, <laughs> I struggle with that one. I, I confess to being sort of a um, pretty avid rule breaker, especially when it comes to social <laughs> conventions. So I, mm-hmm. I, you know, when somebody is trying to set the rules of engagement around maybe the holiday table and, and relationships, especially people that I don't otherwise uh, do a lot of life with kind of thing, I, I confess to struggling with that. I, I try to, to stay quiet about it, but I don't necessarily do a great job of acquiescing to whatever the rules are supposed to be. Um, but I don't want to just flaunt and be ugly about it either. So I don't, I can't say that I handle that one terribly well when somebody's trying to control the situation for a variety of reasons. And I, I think, Justin, your, uh, your comments, I think, are really helpful in the sense that a bit of forbearance and patience, and certainly it, it's hardly ever worth it to totally disrupt a family gathering just because you can't be bothered by a controlling person, unless you're going to be sort of in weekly, monthly relationship with them anyway, then it's probably good to address the situation at some point. But I try to forbear, but unfortunately, maybe too often I disrupt. Yeah, appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Dr. Peter Kapsner is in Scotland as he's all the way across the pond chatting with us today. Brad Johnson, Justin Jepson are my guests in studio, a very competent panel of uh, guys We've got guide talk going on. If you have a question or something you'd like us to chew on or talk about, let us know what that is, 877-933-2484. Or you can email me, bill, at myfaithradio.com. You can ask the question, and I'll ask it on your behalf, and it'll be it'll be really fun. So give us a call, uh, a text, I mean, at 877-933-2484. Be right back. Jingle bells swing and jingle bells ring. 
With Guy Talk, Dr. Peter Kapsner is a valued panelist, as is Brad Johnson, Justin Jepson. That is the crew today. If you have any questions or issues you'd like us to talk about, please let us know, 877-933-2484. Uh, here's a question. How can I stop questioning my salvation? Who wants to jump on that one? Mm, yeah. <laughs> I recently had a conversation with a student about okay. this um, in my office, um, maybe about a month ago. And, um, yeah, it's a hard one. I, th- I think it, for me, I, I think the process of remembering what God's done in your life um, and um, going back, you know, in terms of like, I, I had him tell a story. So tell me how you met Jesus and, you know, and just get to know. And I think when you can learn how to tell and share your story, um, I think that helps. There's a way that it connects them to God's sovereignty, and you can see how God was at work in your life, and then it helps bring that security for whatever you're going through in the moment, and then also for whatever's to come in the future. And you know, and I think pointing back to, um, for me, I, I, Jesus as a good shepherd has just been the image in the last few years for me personally that's just been so branded on my mind and heart, and. I mean, he says, I mean, none, none are going to be snatched out of my hand that the Father has given me. And I just think Jesus as a good shepherd, he's, he knows his sheep. He knows them by name. He's leading them. He's guiding them. He's providing for them. Um, and he, he's never going to leave or forsake them. So I think also just being reminded of what, the, what Scripture says about our security uh, in salvation is, is, is crucial. What about the art of, of thought stopping where you just have to stop that voice in your head that just doesn't line up with the truth of God's word and just say, stop it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, where you just decide not to believe the lie, whatever that lie is. Right. Um, but I, I'd like to maybe flip this just a little bit on its ear in the sense that I think Justin, what you said was, was really great. And I think for me, one of the things I like to do is I, I make a list of what is it has that God has done? Uh, you know, years ago, uh, Pastor Dave Johnson did a whole series about uh, write it on a rock. And really what that was, was what is it that you know for sure? What is it that you know? What do you know? And for me, that, that became a, a listing of things that I know that God had done in my life. And those were things that I, I wasn't prepared to to compromise my thinking on. And, um, but at the same token, I'd like to flip this a little bit in the sense that I I think it's good for us to doubt periodically in a sense that we, we can assess what it is that we actually do know and we can assess what it is that we do believe. And, and I think that sometimes doubting from an academic point of view gives us the ability to think through and open our minds up to certain kinds of thinking that we would otherwise be closed to. And I think God uses those opportunities in those moments to grow us. Hmm. Yeah, it's funny. I love the reference, too, to the write it on a rock, Brad. I remember I was at that church at that same time, and uh, that was a time when Pastor Dave had taken a, a pretty extended sabbatical because there was a lot of doubt, as you referenced, and there was a lot of turmoil happening in his own life, and he came back from that extended time away. And I think 
so, some things have been stripped away. You know, some of the things that we might attend to in life that take way too much of our attention get stripped away in times of questioning and doubt and, and pain and sorrow. And he came back and said, so here are the things that I know that I can write on a rock moving forward with all the rest of it being stripped away. And I think to your point too, Justin, when it comes to the idea that the good shepherd has us in his hand, I think is a really potent idea for walking out in a, in a life of doubt. And especially, I, I think, unfortunately, too often we make the word salvation a synonym with heaven when we die. And and those two things in the biblical text uh, have some interrelatedness, but they're not actually synonyms. The idea of salvation in the biblical text is a rescuing from the power of sin and then an ongoing healing until the final healing that happens in heaven. And so I think, unfortunately, sometimes we have an idea that I need to do some sort of ritual that gets me positioned properly for when I die. And hopefully I did that ritual well enough, whether it's a baptism or saying a sinner's prayer or something along those lines. And if I did it well enough, then I make sure I get into heaven. But then I keep sinning on this side of it. And when do I know that I backslid too far, that maybe my salvation's in question, and all of these sorts of things. And I think there's it's probably a larger topic than we can address just right now, but I think there's a more promising pathway that says, Really, the invitation is to put your life into the hands of the good shepherd. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jesus's very name means salvation. And mm -hmm. so rather than the idea, did I, am I doing a ritual uh, well enough? Am I doing a behavior well enough? Did I backslide too far? All of these things. It's that constant ongoing trust in the good shepherd whose very name means salvation, that he will pull you through the, the, those waters of death to the other side where your actual home will be. And so heaven is much more of a homecoming where I finally get to put the bags of this life down and take a big rest, as opposed to some kind of big reward that I get if I did a good enough behavior here, life on earth. And so it kind of takes a little reimagining uh, of what, and in, in, in a way that is consistent with the scriptures, I think, in terms of what salvation is and is being offered to us. Mm. So, so if you, oh, go ahead, go Justin. Ahead. Well, I was going to say, it's just you know, maybe worth noting, it was interesting both of you referenced Pastor Dave Johnson. I actually had lunch with him a couple hours ago, so this is really, really? kind of cool moment. And one wow. of the parts of our conversation is he's been processing after retiring from the pastorate is this idea of things that remain. So this from out of Second uh, Corinthians 3, and we're gonna, are we building our lives with wood, hay, and stubble or gold and silver and precious stones? And I think sometimes there's a difference between are we, are we questioning our salvation or maybe we're questioning more our sanctification huh. in terms of oh, good point. how this is working out. Yeah, so, good point. you know, and, and that's yeah. messy. And so I think sometimes there's a sense in which if you're questioning your salvation, probably means you haven't lost it because if you've lost it, there's probably there's a deception there and you don't even realize and you don't think that you think that you're fine when sure. you're actually not. So I think yeah. to your point, Brad, it's good to, it's good to doubt. You work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Absolutely. What about if you're battling some fleshly temptations and you're wrestling with them? I know Paul wrestled with his flesh. And so I think we've, it helps to know that, of course. But when we're encouraged in Hebrews to lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely in us, let us run with endurance. We need to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive in Christ. Um, but if you're battling these fleshly temptations all the time, might you be scratching your head going, I wonder if I'm really saved. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it would be unusual if you didn't. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. it's like, why is this, why am I still struggling if I've said yes to following Jesus and I have salvation in my life? And, you know, I can think of some times where I've had some, some sinful realities continuing to just seem to dog me day in and day out over the course of my life. And I found what was interesting during some of that time. And, and I don't know that I would make a dogmatic theological statement about it, 
But I found that as I continued to run that race the best that I could uh, with uh, working with God through the power of his spirit in some of those places in my life, that it was it was hardly ever a genie in the bottle moment. It was hardly ever I prayed really hard one night and I'm fine the next day. It, <laughs> I, I couldn't figure out, like, why did it keep happening? And wouldn't God want this behavior to change? And I'd, you know, get mad and all the sorts of things that you do in those moments. And four or five years into it, still mad. And then so I, I kind of had an aha moment of, of, of sort of, I wonder if God is, yes, he is fussed by my behavior, but I wonder if he's really working to undivide my heart in some areas because he knows, as the Proverbs say, that you should guard your heart because the wellspring of your life flows from it. Mm. And that if God can get in and sort of remake your heart as a potter does to clay and sort of reshape it and reform it, uh, instead of just trying to zero in on a behavior, he knows that then you'll actually have freedom. You won't just be trying to manage the behavior all day long. And it, and it took a long time for me to understand that there was a, more of a holistic invitation towards God getting my heart in a more undivided fashion, because then my behaviors would begin to naturally, or as Dallas Willard would say, would supernaturally flow from him in those places. So I don't know why always we get dogged by sin in those moments, but I, at least I found for me that in the five-year journey that it took from being dogged to freedom in one specific area of my life, it, it really was God's invitation to say, wait, I'm actually after your heart because I know that the rest will flow from that. Uh, stop praying for your behavior to change. Start praying for your heart to change. And boy, that was a tricky moment, and, and but beautiful too. Yeah. Here's a question from Dan. He says, I have a family member who can't help but evangelize new age the ideology at family gatherings despite objections. How should one deal with this scenario? So the question is, he's evangelizing New Age theology? Yes. So he's a proponent of that and trying to convince others? Yes. I have a okay. family member who can't help but evangelize New Age ideology at family gatherings despite objections. How should one deal with this scenario? Well, you know, it, it, we all have to set boundaries, right? And where what does that boundary look like? And I think that boundary looks different for each person. I think, um, uh, you know, for me, I would do the same kind of thing that my wife did with our children and our grandchildren when they're little is that she changes the subject. <laughs> <laughs> That's an art. <laughs> you know, and she's really good at it, you know, and I'm like, I get caught in the subject and I, I, I you know, I'll drill down on that thing really hard, but she'll, she'll change the subject and cause she understands that it's not going to go anywhere good. So she, if my wife was in that conversation, she'd be able to to hopefully flip that. But if that was unsuccessful, then at some point you probably actually have to make uh, boundaries. And sometimes those boundaries have to be physical in the sense that, you know what, um, you know, and, and this might be drastic. And, you know, but, you know, we're going to take off early today uh, because, you know, uh, you know, Jesus is Lord <laughs> and, 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 you know, we're, we're, we're done talking about this. Okay. And I, and that might be kind of cold and hard and that, I don't, I don't think that that's the right answer for everyone. But. Right. Yeah. Justin, that's, that's a good point. No, I think that's really wise to set boundaries. You know, especially if this is a family member that's, you know, you're at the dinner table and they're wanting to talk about this, you know, to say, you know what, I really would love to engage in conversation with you, but let's just during dinner, shall put this on the, you know, on the shelf. And then how about after dinner, we'll have some dessert and coffee and when, then we can engage, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think it goes back to with the comments earlier, that idea of asking good questions. I think, you know, one of the helpful uh, analogies that I've, that I've heard about apologetics is you can view apologetics as a sledgehammer 
meaning I'm just going to have a heavier, weightier, denser, you know, argument, you know, in my arsenal, and I'm just going to crush you with it. Or it can be more like a crowbar where I'm just going to sit back. I want to be a listener. Um, I, I want to be able to ask good questions, ask, you know, ask the Holy Spirit, say, Holy Spirit, what question should I ask? And a crowbar has a way to find itself in cracks and just open up a crack just long enough for some light and truth to get in. <laughs> and then I'm doing it with gentleness and respect, you know, uh, I was thinking first Peter three and always being prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have, but do it out of gentleness and out of, and out of respect. And so, and if the person becomes belligerent and doesn't want to engage and to say, you know what, I think this is a time to end our conversation. Let's go play a game. And how about we have coffee next week and we can pick it back up. So I think that idea of setting boundaries is also, that's really wise. Yeah. Let's go play the, the game. New age religion is stupid. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> Monopoly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> right after Duck, Duck, Great Duck. That's perfect. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I like that idea of asking questions too, Justin. I was just trying to visualize a situation where maybe my kids are at the table who could be impressionable uh, more so. But I, I think I would welcome some of the conversation just simply because I would love to then have conversations with my kids afterwards about what they think and, mm. and what they see. But, you know, that takes shepherding as parents, and that's not always the easiest thing to do. But I guess it depends, too, a little bit on what we mean by new age. I mean, as somebody, you know, walking in and advocating for uh, wearing crystals around the table to get the right kind of energy going or something along those lines, I don't really know what new age we're talking about. But I, I will <laughs> say my wife and I went and picked up um, an area rug on one of these next door apps from a neighbor uh, in, in an adjoining city. And she just began to regale us with stories about how she was parenting her kids. And she was saying, you know, I consulted sort of the local medium. Uh, and then she's been looking at the crystals and she really feels a call and compelled to help other parents do the same things with their kids to help discern their, their kids' future. And I just thought, gosh, this is I guess I'm not equipped enough really to handle this conversation. And so, Justin, you know, the idea of a crowbar coming down to the sledgehammer, some of it for me is I, I need to be better equipped in some of the increasing new age conversations that are happening mm -hmm. where there's kind of been this divorce between I'm a spiritual person but not a religious person. But being a spiritual person can mean just about anything and, and a whole sort of mashing together of different religions, different ideas. So I, I think in equipping beforehand really helps me a little bit, not because I want to come with a sledgehammer, but then I can sit a little bit more peaceful in the moment. And especially uh, if my kids are there, I can help unwind it with them later. Awesome. Let's take a little break. When we come back, more Guide Talk. Let us know what questions you may have. I got some great questions coming in. Still more on the way, 877-933-2484. It's a text only, or you can email me if you're more comfortable with email. Bill at MyFaithRadio.com. Be right back. We are having Guy Talk this hour, and I'm loving it. Brad, Justin, Peter, my power panel. Here's a question that came in from a listener. We are considering pulling our seventh grader out of health class because of the breadth of sexuality that is covered, wondering if the early introduction of all of the sexual vices in the classroom might be adding to the confusion that young people are experiencing. 
Are there evidences that this early exposure is harmful long term? Peter, I might start with yeah. you. Yeah, I was going to say, if I can jump in on that one, yeah. I, just given from the perch of uh, being with 18 and 19 and 20 year olds that are some of our best and brightest evangelical kids that are at the University of Northwestern, and they really are great kids. But here's what I know for sure over the last couple of years is I've seen now the the fruit of these seventh, eighth and ninth and 10th grade classes being taught and, and what really is a, a pretty explicit agenda of teaching sort of a form of inclusion that that's, uh, you know, I'm not sure it would stand up to any kind of kingdom analysis. What I see among these young people is a whole lot of confusion about who they are and whose they are and their sexuality, and they don't really know where to turn or what to think. And I think the really hard part, uh, and, and I see a lot of kids coming out of a lot of different school environments, homeschool, private, public, that are really well adjusted. But I will say the great challenge of the public school situation is that your kids are in school for eight, nine, 10 hours a day. And it really has changed in the last uh, 20, 30 years in terms of the influence of the school in the kids' lives, in the, especially in these matters of sexuality. And I think the great challenge for parents that have their kids in public schools are how do they have a voice in their children's lives when they're in school eight, nine, 10 hours a day, and you maybe get a half an hour with them over the dinner table, and then you do it all over again, and you do it all over again. And, uh, and especially a lot of times parents' voices, of course, during the teenage years, aren't always the first place that teenagers go for wisdom, shepherding, and support. And so it's a really tricky time. I, I met with a church about two months ago that they're, they're very troubled by what was going on in the school system, and they didn't have really any answers for how to help equip parents. And I'm not sure really anybody does in that particular situation. Do you pull them out? I don't know, but I think to underestimate the issue we would underestimate it at our own peril, given what I'm seeing now among some of my best and brightest. I would argue that this has been going on ever since I was a kid. I think it's it's been escalating, you know, in recent years. And uh, I'm probably going to, you know, in just my opinion, I'm going to come down on the side where, where I think that our children are exposed to too much sexual information too rapidly, and they're not equipped for any of it. And yeah. I think a lot of it's just maturity, and I would, it's really, from my perspective, uh, and, and I don't know how you fl- hold back the floodgates of, of society. I mean, I'm talking television, movies, everything, there's all kinds of explicit material out there, instantly and easily available to anyone if they have a question. And um, I see this as a potential, as a real problem for, especially for families, because I think you know, um, I think if you're exposed to it too early, I think you don't have the skills to be able to understand what it means. Uh, and uh, at the same token, you have to have some understanding. So there, there has to be a point where you are educated about some of these things so you're not ignorant. And um, I would argue <laughs> that maybe it was better back in the 40s and 50s when people didn't learn about it till they were much older. And and and. And maybe that's just because I'm an old guy now, but but I, I definitely think that we we have exposed our kids too early to to all of this information. And I I would respectfully, you know, ask people, you know, families, if possible, if there's a way for you to to, to delay some of that information. I think uh, until the the kid is old enough to understand, then I think I think that's better. 
Yeah, I think we're, <clears throat> my wife and I are on the, you know, very much the front end of this, and we're having conversations about school and where we're going to be sending our kids, school districts, public school, private school, charter, you know, all these different, you know, um, different options. But, you know, I, I think there's a lot of wisdom um, in, in maybe pulling your kids out if, especially if that, uh, how how is the conversation between the parents and the children already been present? You know, if this is the first they're really hearing and talking about sexuality, that probably shouldn't be the first place that to begin and they should pull out. Maybe the parents do some work with their kids to talk so that they have a framework and sure. begin to establish a rubric by which they can filter <laughs> and interpret and begin to assess some of the things. But the, at the same time, recognizing that the things that they would be uh, protecting them from in that moment, they're still going to be exposed to one way or the other, you know, with friends, with their uh, friends, parents, with what's happening in the media and just the exposure, uh, like you said, to so much information um, so, but I think there's, yeah, what, I, what I've been, what we've been processing is have this conversation around regarding sexuality, you know, as early as you possibly can. It's not a converse, it's not, you know, have you had the talk, but it's an ongoing conversation. And so, and what's happening in, in this public school, uh, uh, you know, educational system and the philosophy behind it and some of the agendas that are undergirding the, what's being communicated um, that does need to be, uh, you know, addressed and discussed. And, you know, to Peter's point, shepherd, shepherding your kids through that and takes a lot of wisdom and discernment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I want to, if oh, I can just ahead. say real quick too, Bill, yeah. um, on that, I, there's so many lovely people in the public school systems that are just, they're mm-hmm. trying to equip and shepherd the kids too. I think we're just really in a season where churches and pastors and, and teachers, um, we really need to get equipped about how to do this with our kids uh, to help them out. So I don't, in saying that the public schools is a tricky environment, I wouldn't back away from that statement. But I also want to acknowledge I know a lot of teachers that are really trying to go do good work on behalf of the kids. Mm-hmm. There's a question from a listener. How can I help my husband to socialize more comfortably? He's an introvert and rarely wants to go to activities at church or have people over. Now, Justin, how did your wife help you? Justin, how did your wife help? Uh, she, she's given up, I think. I don't this know. She might be listening right now. Mrs. Brad Johnson. She can... <laughs> That's hard because I'm, I'm the extra. I'm more the extrovert in our marriage than my wife is probably. But um, oh, that's so well, my I, my answer is leave me alone. Le- <laughs> well, I know it's a serious question, and yeah, so, no, it's but, real. But the the introvert part uh, is something yeah. that I can oh, understand. I'm yeah. a little bit of an introvert, so mm-hmm. uh, to be, it's like saying to someone, um, "There's 300 people here. Get up and give a quick speech," mm-hmm. and and yeah. people would go, "There's no way I'm going to do that." And so for someone to say to an introvert, let's go to this gathering, this party, mm-hmm. and we'll have fun, that's torturing that person at, at some yeah. level. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. of course, there's always that underlying question, is there something deeper below the surface that this person is reluctant to oh, want to yeah. go and be social about? For sure. Mm-hmm. It could be something that is embarrassing to talk about, yeah. and I'd rather just not be in public. You never know. Yep. It could be. Yep. Never know. Yeah, I think it's really it's a good I mean, I'm actually uh, an introvert as well. And, and uh, Jim Belby, who's often on the show with us, too. You know, he's a public person who is constantly teaching and, and in the, the visible public eye. You'd never guess he's an introvert. But we talk about this, that parties get to be a really difficult spot to be in. And, it, and it's, it's actually easier to speak kind of anonymously from a pulpit or a teaching platform or a radio show than it, than it can be in one to one relationships. Yeah. It's really painful for the introverts. So I, I think to be alongside of them. I know it really helps me to not just be left alone at a party and, uh, and to be part of a conversation uh, with multiple people is just one little practical thing that helps me where I can jump in from time to time. But it's worst case scenario if I end up in a one-to-one conversation with somebody at a party. 
Yeah, you know, and, and I can actually address this specifically in the sense that I was about in my 40s before I realized I was an introvert, which is kind of strange, I suppose, because I didn't, I thought I was an extrovert because I could communicate, but realized, uh, so for me, I need that, I need some alone time. And when I, when I get that alone time, then I'm more amenable to be able to carry on conversations with other people on multiple levels, whether I'm presenting or whether I'm just having a conversation like we are right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think this listener obviously will know her husband best and, you know, like to Peter's point too, it's, you know, if, if the, if the wife here in this, in the scenario is very extroverted and wants to show up and then go connect with everybody and leaves her husband off to the side, maybe, you know, maybe to be able to ask some questions of what is it that you feel most concerned about? How can I be helpful in helping you maybe connect with one or two people that you can get into a good conversation yeah. with? And there might be someone there that he might be really interested in meeting or that, or reconnecting with mm-hmm. and, finding ways to make the big room feel smaller and uh, more personal. That's real interesting. Three uh, three introverts and one extrovert has made up the panel today. It's yeah. been good. It's been very <laughs> interesting. And say, say happy, Merry Christmas to all your loved ones. Huh? Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. <laughs> yeah, Merry Christmas indeed. Yeah, thank you so much for doing the show. I love uh, this hour. And Brad and Justin and Peter, uh, thank you so much. I just um, so appreciate your faithfulness to this show throughout uh, the year. And we're going to take a little break. And then when we come back, John and Pam Bloom will be in the studio for a deep thinker Thursday. We'll also be taking questions. So keep the text line handy. 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.